right, today we are going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you could turn there with me. Um, I'm not going to have you stand today as uh, this is going to be a, a long section to be read. But if you could turn your attention to 1 Corinthians 11, what we're going to do is we're going to take a few meditations on this passage in regards to this table. This is a a passage that is dictated to us by Paul in the letter to the Corinthians. And um, so we are going to turn our attention there and see what the Lord would have us know of him. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 20. Oh, pardon, 34. (laughs) Pardon. Verses 17 through 34. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the place, when you, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized." When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, what the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is a passage that we find toward the end, middle of 1 Corinthians. Paul has been responding to this church according to a few different things. Now, Paul up to this point has been responding to a report that he received... Uh, that has been going on in the church of Corinth. 
And he has been slowly working toward the pinnacle of his letter, which we find in 1 Corinthians 13, where he addresses those in Corinth's heart problem. His focus will come forth in the end of chapter 13. And on the way, he stops to address this issue that we find here. It's one of the fruits of the main problem that is happening in Corinth. So Paul writes of a particular problem, and he writes of the solution, and then he gives counsel to it. And through this, we are going to gain from this text that of a roughly three people that we can understand being in communion here at Corinth. In this section of scripture, we're going to see him introduce what is the true table. And so we are going to see the three groups to which he writes and the counsel that he gives. As we meditate, know this is an extremely applicable text for us today. As we are going to this very day gather for the very Lord's Supper that he describes. Who is the first group that we meet in this text that Paul speaks to. We find them in verses 17 through 22. These are those in self-loving division. So we see that there were divisions among them. Now exactly the nature of these divisions we don't necessarily know. For there have been many options so far proposed in the book. Could it be, for instance, the division spoken of in 1 Corinthians 3 verses 3 through 4? When Paul rebukes the Corinthians for being worldly by aligning themselves with a certain teacher, believing it gives them some kind of spiritual upper hand over those who would align themselves with a different teacher. Could it be a division such as divorces that were taking place within the church, which he addresses in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 16, pardon. Could it be the divisions that are caused by personal disputes? By abuses, wrongdoings, that have even gone so far as to be taken as lawsuits that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 8. It's possible that any one of these could be one of the divisions in which Paul speaks when he says in verse 18, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. This could be so. These could be a part of the mass that heaps together to be a part of the problem that Corinth struggles with. But ultimately, this doesn't seem to be what Paul has in mind. He addresses in the following two verses a certain group of people that have seemed to use this table as a time to make distinctions between themselves and those who would be considered a lesser status. Those who would be considered poorer or on some form of lower social and spiritual rung. There seems to be this kind of division that's addressed in James chapter 2 when he speaks of the sin of partiality. That there is some level of elitism going on here in Corinth. We see that it's spoken of this way. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. He's describing that when these people come together for the table, the Lord's Supper, it actually is not having the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Rather, 
a veil of selfish ambition covers the entire experience. So we see our first taker of communion in Corinth. This is the one who, regardless of the nature of the division, comes to the table in a form of flagrant, open rebellion of God, seemingly not to care. Why? Because somehow they have found a way to create a religion in their own mind where God will allow them to say that they believe the gospel while living a life that is the absolute and complete opposite of it. That this perfect God has reconciled atrocious sinful man to himself. And yet they continue on their merry way in divisions of any and all sorts. So how does Paul describe the heart of those in division? They are those simply dwelling in self-love. This is the Mr. Me First. The Mrs. Corinth is best. He says that there are those within the Corinthian church that when they gather for the Lord's Supper, which is also often had a close uh, banquet associated with it, they were not actually eating the Lord's Supper. They were eating bread and they were drinking the cup. But there was no beauty in this sacrament that they were given by Christ. Instead, it was being leveraged as an opportunity for self-love, the antithesis of the gospel that Christ preached. During this time, what has been happening is that there's been a level of division with these elites. For they have created a distinction between themselves and the not-so-muches. The elites are coming to this banquet, and perhaps along with those who would be being seen of a, a spiritually high rung. And what they are doing is they are segregating, they are separating themselves in some manner or way. Going ahead with this banquet, with this meal, bringing what they can offer to the banquet, they eat their very own portion that they brought. While holding back those of a lesser or poorer status and allowing them to eat the portion they brought, which was nothing. Paul to this person says, I can't commend you. I can't affirm you in any place here. Why? Because there was nothing to affirm. So who's the second group that Paul speaks to? We see of these in verse 23 through 26. Let me read it again. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So who else do we see as a taker of communion? We have those in self-love division wh whom are, are using this table as an opportunity to further their status. 
whom are coming as, as an elite type, seeking not necessarily to join together with the body in remembrance of Christ, but rather gleaning some kind of glory or self-enjoyment and satisfaction. And so what does Paul do? He does what we all ought to do to correct a heresy. He holds up the truth of what is to be done. By this we see another person that is at the Corinthian communion. This is the person who is still repentantly in sin. This is the person who is still repentantly in sin. I won't belabor this point for long, but here he holds out the one true cup and the one true bread. Here he holds out the true Lord's Supper. Here he says that those who needed to hear from Paul what the Lord had made very clear to him, that Christ came for sinners. That, in fact, Christ came for only sinners. That the Christ who washed the feet of the one called Peter who would deny him. That Christ who washed the feet of Thomas who would refuse to believe Christ's resurrection. That Christ who would hand Judas a morsel of bread, knowing that as he swallowed it down, he would be filled by Satan rather than bread. That Christ whom would still that very night call that same Judas friend. That Christ who would with dying breath cry out for grace to be given to those who were delighted by his screams. Paul knows this church. And he knows his audience. And he writes to those who are sinners. And he reminds these Corinthians what it is to truly come to the table. He says, you foolish Corinthians, Christ came for those such as low as you. This table is not about you. This table is for those who are in sin. Who are living the life of repentance and faith. For those who are not good people and know it. So they are repentant people. For those who are not the elite. But those who find themselves to be least of all. For those who have nothing to bring before the table of God, so he sets the table with the sacrifice of his own son and invites them to join him. He says, eat and drink of this mercy and grace, which is reserved for only sinners. Oh, there is a second person at the table in Corinth. She is a sinner the chief of her kind. She is a failure, a loser, lowly and poor. There is one who is still a sinner and thus still in joy and hope and anticipation as they come to the table and proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. There's a third. We see this third in verses 27 
2.30. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. We'll pause there. Finally, we see a third person at this party. Truth be told, it, it could be the first person's twin because they look exactly alike. And, and matter of fact, they actually could even be the same person if you squint and stand far enough away. But nonetheless, we meet one of these people and they are those now blissfully ignorant. Paul tells us little about who this person is, but tells us much counsel of what this person is to do. She is described as one who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. And that such a man would be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Briefly, briefly, what does it mean to eat in an unworthy manner? It means to be one, according to verse 29, who does not discern the body. Now, what body is being spoken of here that needs to be discerned? Now, this has all, so far, in the entirety of the book, and in particularly in this section, you see a repetitive word again and again and again. I believe it's something like seven times in these verses. When you come together, it seems as though that this has all been about the coming together as the body of Christ. He says this person is the person who has been living amidst Christ's body, the church, as if the gospel means absolutely nothing to them. Certainly this man's life has been changed in several ways. Certainly he would be a good, upstanding, moral fella. Certainly she would never struggle with any of those icky, yucky, dirty sins like those of the lesser elites. This person has not discerned their life in the body and what it shows about what they truly believe. Here is the person who is eating bread, who is drinking the cup, and they are so blind and undiscerning to the way they live that they're not stopping to see if they're living a life that is an expression of one who has truly been brought low. Wrapped in the body of Christ. Washed in his blood. Paul tells us that the one who eats in an unworthy way is one who is undiscerning about whether the testimony of their life has been truly impacted by the gospel. They are living just like those in the self-loving division. They just don't know it because they haven't stopped to discern the way that God does. And so we see potentially three people addressed here, or three groups of people. Though one might very well be a twin. Those who are living in open division, they do not gather together with the body for any sense of servitude. They gather together with the body because it provides them with some form of merit and elitism. We see a people who, who come to gather with the body because they're broken. 
And when they look into the pure mirror of the word of God, they see that it is not broken. But it shows that they are. And then we see those who are ignorantly blissful, undiscerning, gathering together with the body, but not really even slowing down to consider if they've been affected by the body in which they claim now to eat, not washed by the blood in which they now claim to drink. And so now we turn our attention to the counsel that Paul gives. What is the counsel that Paul gives to these three groups? Let's work in reverse order. Why? I don't know. Because. Number one, addressing those who are blissfully ignorant. We turn our attention to verses 31 through 33. But... If we judged ourselves truly, pardon, I'm just going to go to 30 because I think it gives us some helpful context as well. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now, in Paul's eyes, we see very clearly that ignorance is far from bliss. He gives us a stern warning of the love of God. Notice what is warned here is of the love of God for his children. He tells us that God does indeed discipline his children, as is being seen by the Corinthians all around them. Some are falling ill. Some are even perishing. And he says that this is a grace. People are becoming sick and dying. Why? This isn't Satan messing with them or attacking their faith. Forget not that Satan can do nothing beyond what God wills. No, rather, Paul says that we are disciplined by a loving Father for our good. It is so that we are not condemned with the rest of the world. These illnesses and deaths that the Corinthians were seeing were from the hand of God and no other. And those whom the Lord disciplines, he loves. Those who are not in the Lord and are not disciplined by God in order to bring them to the awareness of their need for him, their awareness of a need for repentance, he says in verse 29, they come to the table And they eat and drink judgment on themselves. They may call it the Lord's Supper, but really, they are just eating the same morsel of bread that was handed to Judas by Christ himself in John 13, 26. One that does not reflect any salvation in the heart of a sinner. So what is his counsel in verse 31? Judge yourself. He tells this person, there's still hope. Judge yourself. Matthew Henry, in response to this, says, to be exact and severe on ourselves and our own conduct is the most proper way in the world not to fall under the just severity of our heavenly Father. 
Paul is expressly calling the Corinthians to examine themselves if they have been taking the Lord's Supper in these specific ways that he has been addressing, haphazardly, selfishly, not in consideration of the body by any means. He is saying instead, judge yourself. That the Lord might not need to. We take this principle that Paul is expressing and we apply it often today by examining our own hearts. We, we, we seek to see if there is any unrepentant sin in which we are living. We, we look to our relationships. If I am remaining in bitterness, am I in unforgiveness, uncharitableness, unkindness, ungentleness, impatience, unfaithfulness? Are there those that I am angry toward, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God? Are, are there those that have something against me? Are there those that I think to myself, well, that's their problem. I didn't do anything wrong. They did. Are there those that I'm content not seeking reconciliation with? To this I respond, the weight of gold is measured by its countermeasure, but so is coal. Do you wish to see the depth of your sin? Do you wish to examine yourself? Look at that which is required to bear its weight. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we see that it is him who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If my sin took the one who knew no sin becoming sin, I have much contemplation. Do I think light and few are my sins? Then I think light and few of he whose blood was poured out to extinguish the fire of his wrath toward me. What of the counsel to those who seek to remember and proclaim? What is, what is the counsel to the repentantly in sin? We see this in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We see Paul's counsel to those needy people. Those who come to this table and they come correctly. Not as if they have no sin, but utterly exposed of their sin. Not as though they are worthy, but as though they understand that they are not. And this is the very reason they are invited. Those who are dearly loved by Christ are those who are desperately needy. Remember what it is to be loved of Christ. We see in Luke 7, 47, it is those who are forgiven much who love much. For the Apostle John to claim himself as the one whom Jesus loved, this was not a title, one whom Jesus loved, as a note of pride, meaning look at my beauty that Christ has so loved me. But he has spoken as an honest lash against himself of reverent humility. Look at my sin, so great, and I so forgiven. 
oh, the love he has shown me. And now I that love him. We see, as in 1 Samuel 16, 7, we see that Christ does not see as man sees, so neither does he love as man loves. Only those who have thirst are invited to this living water. Only those who need forgiveness much receive it. So those of you still living in Christ Jesus, those still bearing the sinful nature that wars against the Spirit, I just remind you that one of the major qualifications for this table is sin. Not that you go on sinning that the grace may abound, but that you go on understanding, oh, more the depth of what this bread and cup means. With this table, as one theologian has said, we gather to commemorate, to celebrate his glorious condescension and grace in our redemption. You see, Christ is our sufficient Savior. He is our complete Savior. From His birth, being perfect, yet circumcised, as if under the law. Being perfect, yet baptized, as if one needing cleansing. He has become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Oh, take joy, dear sinner. The lamb has been slain on the altar that was prepared for us. We are able to be like those at the event of the Passover in Egypt. Horatius Bonner, what a name. An old pastor and an old hymn writer writes like this. The lamb stood guard at the door of each family. The blood was their shield and buckler. There might be trembling hearts within Wondering, perhaps, how a little blood could be so efficacious, effective, to make their dwelling so impregnable. Disquieted, too, because they could not see the blood, but were happy to be content with knowing that God saw it. Oh, we stand behind an impassable door known as Christ's righteousness. And we of trembling heart within, we see the blood. But more importantly, God sees it. And we are seen as righteous. Jesus proclaimed in Luke 5, verses 31 through 32, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He has come to save the sinners. And when we drink of this cup and eat of this bread, we remember to our own hearts that grace he has given, planned before the foundations of the earth. We proclaim to one another, And the world around us, that for every sickness, the great physician is the only all cure. On the cross, the work was finished. The blood of the burnt offering was shed. The propitiation was made. The transgression was finished. And everlasting righteousness was purchased.
you who are still repentant sinners, rejoice in the remembrance and proclaim his death until he comes. You are the very people called to the table. Now, what of those in self-loving division? Verse 19 gives us Paul's counsel. You can't get much clearer of counsel from Paul than this. And this passage is a, a passage that causes me to shift in my seat a wee bit uncomfortably if I'm being forthright. Here's what he says. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Paul's counsel is straightforward. Why is it that he so easily believes that there's going to be a Mr. and or Mrs. division in the Corinthian communion? Because this is one of the means that the Lord uses to expose those of true spirituality. Those who are Truly seeking Christ, not those who simply are wanting to look the part. He says that these factions show something. They show something that, that there are some who have not been truly changed by the gospel. And there are some that have. Paul says... The same message here that he's going to proclaim in Ephesians 2. And the same message he will proclaim again in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21 when he sends another letter to this messy church. And he echoes the words of our Christ found in Matthew 18 that those who have been reconciled to God are always reconciled to sinful man. This covers any and all divisions, whether it be from partiality or unforgiveness, from preference to pain. Paul makes clear that those who come to the table in this state do not show that they don't deserve the table, but they are showing that they do not understand it, and it has not yet been applied presently to them. So where do we see his counsel to each one of us? who may be here in this self-loving division. And what is his counsel? He speaks to us again in verse 33 in a very practical sense. So then, my brothers, a term meaning those fellow with me in Christ, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And then he gives this fun little diddly. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. If I'm the Corinthian church, I'm intrigued, and I'm a little bit nervous about what is to come. Oh, to be a fly on the wall there. What does he say? Let me summarize. He says, he hints now at an application of what he is going to make very clear in 1 Corinthians 13. Love one another. 
wait for one another. Give preference to one another. Care for one another. Here at the table, here before the Lord's Supper, at this remembrance and proclamation to the world and to one another, we are all put in union under one banner. All stand and kneel on the same blood-stained hill. All together are judged unworthy. All are together given unmerited grace. All together are we proclaimed to be made new by His righteousness. For we bear none of our own making. We are as one in our brokenness. No sham, no disguises, no holier than thou. Here at the table, we find us all broken. Here at the table, we find all of us as just one amidst the rolling waves of sinners breaking upon the shore of Christ's mercy. Taste the unity that comes here from the body of Christ through this remembrance. Taste the unity that comes to the body of Christ through this remembrance. Taste of the mercy toward others that we experience as they sin against us. Taste the empathy. Taste the care for fellow sinners who have sinned against me. As a soldier looks to his right and his left amidst the deluge of bombs on the battlefield. To see the faces of the men that he will have a deep and lasting love for, for the rest of his days. So it is with those in Christ. As we sit beneath his feet, as he hangs upon the cross, as the drops of blood and water pour out as bombs, bringing death and destruction to our sin and guilt. We look to our right and to our left at the other weeping and blood-cleansed faces, and we are bound with a love for such fellow soldiers. Yet, unlike a soldier, our love does not end at our last breath. Rather, we know that at our last and final draw of breath, we exhale into unbounding praise to the glorious God we stand before. And we will do it for all of eternity, side by side, with these that stand beside us at the table. Paul calls all sinners, come, remember, call back to mind that beautiful gospel that united us all as broken. Come, proclaim to one another, because you don't gather here together for just you. You are one member of one body, and there are many members. Come and proclaim, both to the world outside and amidst our own ranks.
proclaim this gracious gospel. We do not come to the table alone, nor do we come just concerned with ourselves. Rather, let us remember and proclaim this gospel before the world and to one another together. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Pray with me.